0: two cases that were not so loaded with emotion, and uh, one of those was my very dear friend and compadre, Earl Shore. The, uh, I don't think Earl killed one man, and I represent him in that case, but this was back, during probation time, so it must have been before 33, 30, 34, and right after I started practicing law, and uh, Earl uh, lived out on the DK road there, and uh, well, over the last 50 years, he's been... Uh, just a pleasant friend of ours, and really close to us as a man can be. But Earl was doing a little bootlegging because it was a little easier than cutting cedar. And it played a game, really, in a way, than burning charcoal. And so Earl had him a, a little steel up in the hill there somewhere. Of course, he had to hide him pretty good to keep the cousins like and but Tracy and, and the young boys from stealing from him. But Earl had a, had a little stash of whiskey somewhere. But he may have bought it from his cousin, food from him, for food was a big bootlegging often Austin But uh, Earl got out of his valley. He went out to what is, uh, was then known in those days as Hooker's Switch. There was a that's right in the middle of where Highland Park West is now, close to the the, the cemetery out there. But the railroad went out through that area. And it, uh, it goes up grade going north, and goes up great going south out of Austin, since Austin down in a sort of a of a valley. And so they had what they call Hooker's Switch out there, and uh, where Highland Park West is now. And that meant the switch engines would push these trains going north out that far, and they had a, where they could turn around, come back to Austin from there. And there was a little one or two little old houses out there around upper Switch, and Earl went out there to this, uh, I believe this boy named Stewart, that owned the house, or whoever owned the house, but they'd have in the country dances in the winter time. And the little old house wasn't uh, room wasn't, and it had about fifteen by fifteen at the biggest, and maybe ten to fifteen. And they had a potbelly stove in the middle of it, and. Uh, they were going to have this, this dance out there. Of course, the, the purpose was to get together and, and uh, get drunk. And so Earl got his little stash of whiskey and took it out there, and he was over in one corner, uh, peddling his, and this, uh, one of the boys uh, in that neighborhood named Stuart, there's another boy doing a little peddling over the, on another corner. And, of course, it was really nice small, and it uh, pumped that his toe going, and folks where thinking, it got a little cozy. And uh, a little bad blood arose down the evening, and, so this old uh, steward boy took issue with Earl, thought he ought to get back across the river on the south side and do it, fly street, and let this boy on the north side do their own whiskey setting. But they had a fuss, and uh, Earl knocked this old steward boy down with his fist, and, and while he was on the ground there, he looked like he's going for a pistol. Earl didn't know where they had one. My Earl uh, didn't have one inside. He had his down inside his pants and inside his shirt. Without ever taking his pistol out of his shirt, and out of his pants, he just, uh, kind of bent around the where he could uh, shoot without shooting his outfit off, and he shot his old boy while he was on the gun there and, and killed him. Well, so they indicted uh, Earl for murder. And uh, he didn't have too much of an excuse for killing the old boy, but anyway, all the people in those days, and they still do, do now, whenever whoever the, uh, uh, the wins, he's got a certain amount of respect in the community, and all the witnesses there were uh, friends of both of them, but then Earl was alive. And that had a lot of weight with the witnesses, and they wanted something tell where so the way Earl told them it, it happened. And so they came in and testified that this old boy uh, made a motion like he going for his gun and, and may have had one. And, and uh, anyway, Earl got out. I got him off on the self-defense. And from that time on, Earl uh, has been our man. He's done everything in God Almighty's world for us, and he's working for us right now. Then one, another case, that was a... It might have been a little because there was a man who killed involved in it, but an old boy named Sonny Ross, he lived out in South Austin, and Sonny was about my brother Harold's age, he, was, uh, he wasn't he in school, he was in school for more about the same time I was, but Sonny evidently wasn't in my grade, I know I didn't know him that way, but he had two older brothers named Fats and Ossie, they were about John, my brother Johnny and Polk's age, and so there might have been a girl in between, but anyway the Ross family lived in South Austin, and the other two boys were good workers, they worked and we represented all the boys in South Austin, we were, we were the lawyers in South Austin, and, and all these boys that went to school with us they came to us, Well anyway Sonny was a, he'd become a, they done prohibition time then, uh, but uh, Jim Hart was district attorney. I know Jim was district attorney. And uh, Sonny was, a, was a, a taxi driver and a bootlegger. Of course, most of the taxi drivers had them. peddle had a little bit of liquor. Of course, people coming in at the train, they'd want a little whiskey or something, and the taxi drivers had the for them. But anyway, there was another old boy that was setting liquor out in, uh, uh, oh, right off the South 1st Street, out in the, uh, somewhere with in the Dawson station, that's where Sonny. Lived. He lived out in that area, and this old boy, uh, the other bootlegger, was married, and he lived out there, too. Now Sonny had gotten uh, to go in with this boy's wife and, and making himself very much at home at that, at that man's home, and going in there and, and, uh, and sharing his wife with him, and without the man knowing him. And so, uh, uh, one night, Sonny thought he had the signal that the coast was clear. And the situation in the house was, if Sonny was to come in on the, in the backyard, park his car out there somewhere and come through the back screen door and come into the bedroom and come through, a, uh, through the screen porch. Well, this old boy that lived there, he had a gun cabinet that was against the wall uh, uh, right up at the screen door when he entered. And Sonny knew that he kept his gun there. And so Sonny came in, uh, out in the dark, and he made the requisite whistle. It was to let the girl know he's right ready. And when he did, instead of the girl coming to the door, well, his, the husband come out there. And when he did uh sonny just knew that he's he's a dead duck he's right at the door so uh he figured this old boy's gonna shoot him so he hung up shot the old boy himself and so uh he was indicted, of course in due time he didn't have much reason to in the man's back door there unless he left after some bad business well, we we had a, i figured i had a little pretty good self-defense and, and uh, we couldn't explain why he's doing it to hell but we we uh, uh the idea of that was that when this uh, husband came to the out the door on the screen for us. He, he reached into this gun cabinet to get his gun out and sonny knew it was there and so he shot in anticipation of the man we going to shoot him and so uh, that was our defense well we put it on and, and i never will forget jim hart uh, come in the afternoon uh, uh, on rebuttal and he brought this gun cabinet in, and he set it up in front of the jury and so helped me up there there was a buddy from uh, from old uh, <laughs> Uh, Well, the buck shot, the old old Sonny shot out of his shotgun, went right in where the door, the door had to be closed because one of the bullets, uh, the pellet, went right in uh, where the door was closed. It had to be closed because the pellet hit it that way. Well, that uh, kind of marked our our defense out pretty good. Uh, uh, There there wasn't any question about the door being closed and so it was in Sonny's imagination that he's the man open. Well, anyway, uh, that was our case. I, I was hung with it. And uh, the jury went out, and they come in with a five-year penalty. And it's, uh, the funny thing about it was, that on this jury, I took an old boy named Redding who had been jailed, and that's the sheriff there, and, and he'd had the the assistant was putting them a dozen the times. And I figured on account of that, he'd make a pretty good defense. You are knowing that this old boy was sorry, wasn't wasn't worth that, and he needed kidding. But he, helped, he he felt that way too. But he felt his sonny wasn't worth the it to protect the time. so they can take the sonny and give him five years. And, Oh, I was, it's uh, the time, It always is embarrassing to have the jury come bring a verdict in against you. And uh, I jumped up, and, and I was. Uh, I told the judge that I was going to file a motion for a new trial and, and what all I was going to do to see the justice was done. And while I was standing up there with old Sonny, I felt something tugging at my coattail. And uh, I looked around, and Sonny said, Mr. Shelly. He said, I believe I'll take that five years. And so that's the way that case ended. Sonny decided he would take that five years. And of course, I was glad to get off of it the next day, because I knew that justice had been done. Then there were two very famous men in Austin, and still are, so far as I know, named Blondie and Curly Wright. They, they were, uh, the two of them, were any five or six men I ever saw with a fist. They were just good fighters, and men. Uh they, uh, they got under some bad influences. An old boy, I uh, uh, forget his name now, but anyway, he was a two-bit gambler there in Austin, and he thought he was a big shot. He put on a party out at uh, Elm Grove Lodge one night, just out right off the BK Road, and it was a party party. and. Uh, this old boy got out there and there's somebody come into the party that he didn't like and so blondie and Curdy is kind of working around there there's this boy but they're looking for fight all the time anyway and so this old boy uh, uh he put he put blondie and Curdy up to going and give this uh man that he didn't like a whipping he told him to give him a whipping and he'd make it worth their while well he'd uh, make it, uh, the fight alone was worth their while but they got over and got to beating on this old boy and they had a fight and they got him down and kicked him a little bit and the old boy died. And so they indicted Blondie and Curly. And of course the man that put him up to it in order to stay out of it he put up all the money he took for the defense. And I forget who was their the attorneys cause the uh, ten folks of the dead man come and hired folks to they prosecuted him immediately. And we prosecuted Blondie and Curly although we knew that they did not. Uh, uh, They did not commit a murder because they didn't intend to kill him. We knew they didn't intend. They intend to whip him and beat him up which bad, but uh, whenever the the, uh, natural consequences of the act uh, 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 is death, then, of course, the intent is presumed. And so that was the only argument we had. It was presumed that they intended to kill him when they did the thing that they did to stop him. Anyway, we convicted them, and they went to penitentiary. And then uh, the upshot of that is this. About five years ago, First year, the little folks back along with me. I got a call from us, uh, one of all red boys there uh, in Austin. They said that Curly was in trouble down in Bastrop. He killed a man down in Bastrop County, and he wanted to know if I'd be willing to handle it. I told him, well, I, I haven't had a word case in years. But, uh, I never had had any bad blood with the right boy. They were friends of mine, I thought, although we'd send them to Penitentiary. So I went down to see Curly, and uh, uh, what happened there was uh, an old boy down there was pretty mean rough and he had uh, uh, been trying to go with Curly's wife and, and Curly told him to stay away from him and Curly had a little old house out there on the Austin Highway on the south side of the highway and so uh, uh, Curly was in Austin and he's coming coming back to, to going home and this old boy found out Curly's going to be home and he was out at the beer on kind of north of back bathtub somewhere in there and he found out Curly's going to be home so he decided to go out there and just take, the, take Curly's wife away from him he got drunk, so he got out there, and Curly knew he was coming, or he heard him drive up. Of course, you can see uh, he had to come off the road, and when Curly, uh, it was about 10 o'clock at night, I think. It might have been about 9, but Curly saw this old boy driving up out there, so he went back in his bedroom and got his shotgun, and he just got in the hallway there, and as soon as this old boy comes through the door, he let him get flung in the door, and then he hauled up shot him. The old boy just uh, leaned up against the wall, slid down, and, and died right there in the front, in the front door. Well, then Turley went ahead next door, and my had been, uh, he called the police, uh, called the law, and told uh, Bill, uh, Jimmy Nutt was, uh, was the law, and he come out and got him, and, and they took old Curly in. And, uh, uh, Jimmy was, I called Kershaw, the district attorney, he was a good friend of mine, I called him and told him what had happened, and, oh, he had been, oh, he, uh, Kershaw had been off in the cliff Colorado somewhere, when he got home, he didn't, hadn't been briefed on the case yet. And I called uh, Kershaw, and told him, and uh, I represented Curly in who had killed, and the first thing that Scurgell said, he said, well, really, ain't no, ain't no law to this community anyhow. So uh, he said, you get uh, uh, Curly and the witnesses here and his wife come in for the grand jury, and I'll see that they get a fair shake, and, and if they if they did if it happened like you say it happened, uh, the grand jury ought not, to, ought not to be there. So I went down, and I got Curly out of jail. somehow, I, know, I had, to, oh, oh, had to sign his bond, and I did, I guess. But anyway, it was, uh, we got him out of jail, and we went for the grand jury, and. Uh, I sent Curly in there for the grand jury. Of course, he had this bad reputation. He'd been to the penitentiary. He had not admit to that, but this was in his home. And, uh, the former grand jury, the only thing Curly said he asked him, he said, uh, were this man inside your door when you shot him? And Curly said, yes, sir, that's where the sheriff found. And the sheriff pointed out. He said, well, that's all we want to hear. And that they know bill Curly on that. But that was something that uh, over a 20-year period, we sent this for uh, to penitentiary. And then uh, 20 years later than that, we represented him and kept him from going to the a second time. And we were a real good fan doing this case. Old Blondie came up from Houston. Blondie run a bridge on down in Houston and was pretty well-to-do. He came up and uh, gave us the money that we needed to keep going on Curtis case. And Blondie and I, we had some experiences there. It was, uh, he told me about some of his actually but he was the kind of man that could stand off and barefisted, hit a knee in the face and knock him flat on his legs. I out as well digress There's tell the story of that plot he's telling about when we were trying this case, or I was involved in it with, with that currently. He said that one night he got drunk. He was walking between 6th Street and 7th Street on Sabine down there. And if you remember how the city of Austin is, is uh, Waller Creek runs, uh, runs uh, between 6th and 7th Street, crosses Sabine Street. and There's a little bridge in there that has about a, a three-foot uh, wall on it. And old Blondie said that he was drunk and he was trying to go home, going up, up to Red River Street somewhere. He said he got on that bridge and the Mexican uh, was walking right on the same side he was and he wouldn't move over. So uh, Blondie said something to him, the Mexican cussed him and he said he hit him and the man disappeared. And he said he didn't want to he with him. He said the next morning... Uh, I'll come and arrest him for assault. <laughs> and old Blondie hit him and knocked him plumb over that railing and into the creek. <laughs> and when he hit him, uh, Blimey, he said he just disappeared. Well, they lost out there a little bit later. And that's how hard that man could hit him. He hit him, he always knocked over him that, over that railing and uh, hit the creek. Blondie was a pretty good man. If I was going to have a, a fight, I want him to be on my side. Because I had your way. I represented one uh, old boy from Delta. He was accused of killing a man that would, uh, he thought was running around with his wife, and the man that was killed up there, the deceased, was a, was a, a veterinarian. And the man that I represented, I forget his name now, but he—he—he uh, was—he he was just worried to death about his wife being untrue to him. And so uh, he invited this—he had a ranch or a farm or something. And they had an excuse to have invite the veterinarian to come out to his place and attend to uh, some of his stuff. And so this old boy, the way he planned the murder, and it was a murder. He got the veterinarian out there to look at his stock, and he, he uh, told him that he'd have to crawl under a fence. And this old boy got the vet down, crawled him down the fence, and hit him in the head with a an hammer to kill him. And, of course, it's hard to make up a defense for that sort of thing, because that's where they found the vet. And so they transferred the case down to Austin for some reason or other. And uh, a beaver didn't help me in this case for some reason. Maybe he would have just sent it to me, because he figured he couldn't do anything with it. I managed to get, him, get the old boy 50 years. And that's pretty good in a case of that kind. I never did get uh, a, judge, uh, a verdict against me uh, on any case that I have tried for over 50 years. I know there was another that I'm going to talk about in a minute. I think it was the next one was Tom Carpenter. Tom Carpenter was just as fine an old boy as, as ever lived, down Austin, and he thought his wife was being untrue to him, and it just drove him to madness. And, and uh, he shot his wife and killed him. And, of course, there's no details for that at all except uh, just to plea of guilty and plea bargaining. So <clears throat> I pled old Tom guilty, and I got him. I think 50 years, and he went on to the penitentiary. I know that was during the time that I was doing some pardon work down there, because I went down to see old Blackie Horn in the penitentiary. I went to the walls. In those days, to find anybody in any in any one of the penitentiary the, the farms, you had to go to the walls first, where they kept the records. They'd find out where your where your client was, then they'd tell you how to get out to that farm. And you'd always have to take uh, any somebody with you because they wouldn't let an automobile drive right into the farm. But anyway, I, got, I went down to the, to the walls there, and and uh, when I was uh, sitting in there waiting for the warden to come out and tell me where I was from, client was where, where old Blackie was, or I, where I I could even talk to him, and I there well, There's a man walked in, and, and it was dark in the in the room there, and he had the mail, and uh, he, he, after he put the mail down on the counter there for the warden, was or, or that's when he come over and stood in front of me and said, oh, are "You, Mr. Sheldon," and I was trying to blink my eyes out, I said, "Yeah." I said, oh, you're Tom, Tom Carpenter. Uh, and he's well, been down there about three years, and the warden come in just at the time I was talking to Tom. And he came over there laughing. He said, now, Sheldon, he said, you coming down here to see a man that you're not going to get out of this penitentiary you I to keep him in here. But if you take old Tom here now, you take him off right now.
1: But we want him
0: to go home. He said, he's the best president we've got. He said, he don't do anything but sleep in the, in the, in the jail in the jail party in there. He comes back in here and says, in this lobby all day. He goes and gets the mail. We can't run him off. He said, "If you want want one of them out, you, you ask for Tom. We'll all back Tom going home." But said, "You ain't gonna get that man out that you come down and see about." And we had a little argument. I said, "Tom was doing pretty good down there. He he his nest. Now we can get back to a rather sordid affair that happened. I sold some land up just beyond where uh, Albert Bust uh, killed and killed Ernest Simon, right around the corner up there, about where you oh it's about 200 yards uh, the other side of the uh, where the. Uh, the eating place up there the county line is now. I sold it to a woman named Maddie Collins. She had been married before and had a, 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 some grown daughters uh, by the first marriage and she had an old boy named T.J. Collins, I believe was his name. And he was living there with her on that, in that little old house that I had sold him. And it's on the, on the course over on the, the east side of, of the right there close to where the judge Blackwood lives, Tom Blackwood with But anyway, the Collins were living there and uh, Mrs. Collins had a, a grown daughter that was living there in the house with him and her his grown daughter had married a, a man who was then stationed at Burston Field from Connecticut. And uh, he was a navy of some kind, or not a navy he was he was a mechanic. He wasn't an officer, but he was he had to stay on the base. But he happened to be out there at the at that house <clears throat> what neither, just about dark and old man Collins came in and he took issue with his daughter and stepdaughter. He had a fuss with her and he hauled off and right in front of her husband he killed her killed his daughter, stepdaughter of his. And this boy, he uh, got a hold of the pistol and took it away from my collar and killed him with it. So he got me that night. And uh, before they had the body well away from there, I had, I'd gotten a hold of Father, Father Duffy, a young, new priest down at the Saint Ignatius church that would come into Austin then, a real good friend of mine. And so I asked him if he would not go up there with me and try to, try to see what if he could help the family. And of course, he was just all of a mind to do that. That's kind of the thing that he made for him. So we went off up of and uh, we got there about 30, 40 minutes after the killing took place. I should say, yeah, maybe an hour. And then I represented this boy. <clears throat> he was indicted for killing old man Collins on the basis that although he uh, stood there and watched the man kill his wife in front of him, and he still ought not to take the pistol away and kill the old man, which he did do that. And so I got down cold. That just about 20, I mean, 43, just before I went into the Marines and just before John went in the service, both of us went in the service right after that, but this boy was already down in to burst Field. And being a Yankee, we figured he was at a little disadvantage, you know, and so uh, uh, we wanted want to try to make it appear that he was afraid of old man Collins. That's the reason he took the pistol away from the shot. He was afraid the man might do some more harm. And so, but I tell him the client what to say, and I answered what to, uh, to say that it was. Well, we didn't tell him what to say, and here's what we did. John asked him, said, uh, uh, were, were you afraid of Mr. Collins? and the boy made the answer to him, he said, I'm not afraid of anything. And I'd like to kick the, our defense out the window, but I was glad that he was on my side in the war. But the boy got, well, we, we cleared him, and he didn't, uh, it was just such an outrageous thing for him to watch his wife be killed there in front of the, the jury just figured that he didn't, he'd had punishment enough. Anyway, we cleared him. I had one interesting murder case. That was a murder case. That girl didn't get indicted, but her name was Wells, and she lived out on North Garland Street, uh, on the west side out there. And she was a sort of a recluse. She came from this Wells family that used to own a lot of land out uh, between Austin and and Round uh, Rock on the west side of the main highway out there. They owned a ranch out there, and uh, so uh, she had. Uh, they had sold out, and she still had some some stock out there though, 'cause she paid me with some cattle. She sold some cattle and paid me my fee, but. Here's the situation. She was an old recluse, and she uh, she was sort of a musician. She liked to play the fiddle and things like that, and she had one or two old boys out there that uh, were alcoholics and wine and, uh, and O They st- lived in her house with her, and uh, they had to get on radio and play on radio. They were pretty good, and they'd go out to the Driftwood reunion grounds and play at the reunion, and so they had a pretty good reputation, uh, this, uh, she and the two men. Uh, she might sing and play, but anyway, they were very good fans, and so... Uh, uh, she got uh, an old boy, uh, was found dead out there in her house, in her kitchen one, one day, and they, they had to bring her down, put her in jail, and accused of, of killing him. And the facts were just these. Now, she, I went out to visit with her, and her yard was terrible. She never did more, and they filed on her several times for, for not getting the weed out of her yard. But I went into her house, and when she was there, she was going to explain to me how this thing happened. And... Uh, all the front room was just filled up with magazines and newspapers. You get no place to sit down. And we went into the kitchen, and uh, she had a little stove in there, a wood stove, and she did her cooking. In there, and this old boy lived there with her, apparently. And uh, she said that one morning he came in there and was mouthing around to her about what she's doing, the cooking, and he's evidently intoxicated a little bit. And she had a, a bunch of knives with a real sharp point on it, and she just stuck it over to his chest and, and just punched him said, now You go back in there and sit down until I get breakfast ready, and then we'll eat. Well, he turned around, went back in, and laid down in the room and died. And so the coroner found out that this bunch of knives she'd him in the chest, had gone under just a fraction of an inch in the skin and cut an artery, and the old boy bled to death. Well, obviously, she didn't intend to kill him. Her defense was to the grand jury. She went for the grand jury, and I told her to. He said, that's my partner. I said, I can't sing anymore without him. And so they didn't her, but I represented this Miss Whale. And I, I, I think I got her. she gave me a mortgage on her cat, I believe it was, because I had a little trouble collecting it after I got her out without an indictment.